This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. No room for emotions in hockey. No room for the feel-good story in hockey. Tonight, the Minnesota Wild face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Alex Andelkovich gets a start for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you would think, considering, you know, unless we expect there to be a Minnesota-Pittsburgh Stanley Cup final, this will probably be the last time Marc-Andre Fleury plays in Pittsburgh. So he's starting, right? Philip Gustafson gets a start tonight. For the Minnesota Wild, John Hines saying, this is part of the plan. More goalie stories uh, around the NHL. That's the latest one coming out uh, a couple of moments ago. Uh, still to come, David Amber, Jesse Granger, but right now joined by Luke Fox. Uh, I guess we should talk about some goaltending with the Maple Leafs. We'll talk about uh, other things as well. Luke from Sportsnet.ca covering the Toronto Maple Leafs. Luke, I, uh, I asked Elliot a couple of seconds ago, what was the bigger story? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the way they did on Saturday or the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, with the return of Kyle Dubas and Jason Spezza losing the way that they did. What's your answer? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Because um, both are, are pretty huge, considering the Leafs were without Austin Matthews and TJ Brody and all their injuries on defense and starting their their uh, third-string goaltender. But I got to go with Pittsburgh losing. Uh, just it, yeah. I, I almost There was almost a sadness, like seeing all those future Hall of Famers out there and uh, is this is this really how Sidney Crosby is going to play out the rest of his career on, on a, a a team this this poor? Um, you know, I I don't know. It was it was embarrassing. I think from from there, and it, it was just kind of sad, right? Because it was such a a great dynasty, um, and they're just aging out. They're, they're just too slow, and they don't have enough support behind them. And uh, it's it's kind of sad to see. I think. Yeah, and specifically when you consider that, you know, Sidney Crosby is having an outstanding season. Yeah. Like, again, I I come back to this idea of if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, can you afford to squander a season like this from Sidney Crosby? And the answer is no, you can't. But then if you're Kyle Dubas, what are you doing with this team? I mean, he's made, you know, uh, a a lot of changes here, specifically the bottom six, and you bring in Carlson and Nadalkovich. Uh, who has been good in in his defense for the for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but you know I, I don't know what else Pittsburgh can do at this point other than hope that things turn around. I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss, Luke. Yeah, no, and and I I hear you, Jeff. And I think really, if you were going to do it, you had to do it a year ago and not give those big ex- extensions to Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin. Like if you, but how do you look sit in the face and say we're we're going to rebuild or reset and we're going to you know part ways with uh, your long-serving teammates, guys you've hoisted with the, the cup with multiple times? It's 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 tough to do, and I I think you know part of it's on Dubis, maybe it was on Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, but uh, part of me thinks this is from ownership on down and and them saying hey as long as Sid's here we're going for it every year. Um, and, you know, yeah, you have the banners. You have the banners, right? But I, I just wonder, with Crosby being such a competitive guy, um, but such a loyal guy at the same time, is this, is this the end? Or, or, or would he dare accept a trade to, say, Colorado or something at some point? Uh, I, 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 think, I think it's really I fast. I think uh, it's fascinating. 
Yeah, listen, there's there's always been people that have uh, maintained that, you know, somewhere down the road, Crosby and, and Nathan McKinnon are going to play together. They train together. They skate together. They do Tim Hortons commercials together somewhere down the road. Uh, McKinnon and Crosby play together. But the only place I can see that is, is Team Canada. I really can't see that. Like, I'm, I'm fully of the mind that come July 1st, uh, the first thing we hear is from the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, a contract extension for Sidney Crosby. Wow. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know. He's such a competitor. Uh, I, I, I would just be curious because uh, I don't see any way that they, like, I, I feel like this is kind of like the Red Wings. Like, it, once this falls apart, I think we could be looking at years before they, they get back on track. But the thing is, like, I, I kind of look at this. Like, I know that there were, when they did their general manager search, um, I, I think the idea was they were looking for someone who could demonstrate how they could both remain in a playoff position. So every year you finish, I don't know, sixth in the conference. So you make it into the playoffs. You lose in the first round. Maybe somewhere, maybe every now and then you win one round, you know, and the, uh, and, and the fan gate base gets excited. But I think the plan was for the Penguins to be a competitive team, but not competitive enough that you would ever talk about the Stanley Cup and all the while rebuild the farm team and restock the prospect shelf. It seemed like that was the strategy for whomever was coming in. Obviously, Dubas was able to articulate that. Yeah, it's just now you have all that money tied up in Eric Carlson. And if they don't, you know, crazy things could happen. They could rally. They could rally here. But if they don't, we're looking at six straight years that they haven't won around. It's it's just uh, I mean, I don't know. It's father time. It's 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 catching up with an aging core. That's all it is, really. Uh, still undefeated time. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, it, it seems as if this this defense group is kind of buying Brad Treliving some time here. Um, and Martin Jones is buying uh, Brad Treliving some time here. Like, if anyone thought that there was a pressure for Brad Treliving to do something quickly here with the blue line, and we know that... There's a certain type of blue line he likes. And if you look at a lot of, I would say, the majority of Brad Living deals, he always grabs a defenseman. Um, this blue line, Lagason, uh, Benoit on Saturday. Good to see Timothy Liljegren back. So there's a there's a bright spot. Um, but this back end is kind of buying Brad Living some time here. Agree or disagree? Oh, 100%. It, it's, it's really remarkable. And... The crazy thing is the Leafs went through a stretch like this right around this time last season when Morgan Riley was hurt and other guys went down and they just seemed to, to rally and rise to the occasion. You know, guys like Benoit Lagasin, you know, they're, they're playing way more minutes than they, they probably should be. But uh, you got oh, yeah. to tip the cap to them because they filled in admirably. I mean, it hasn't been pretty every night, that's for sure, but they're doing enough to just earn points almost every single game. And credit Brad for living, who, you know, sensed that, hey, I, I don't have much cap space, but I'm going to spend what little I have and, and find these depth players. You know, it, his predecessor got a lot of credit mm-hmm. for finding the, finding the bargains. But Trey Living's done an excellent job of that, um, whether that's Benoit or Legison or even Noah Gregor, you know, just fourth liner who can... Yeah. Get, when called upon, get some extra minutes. He, he made some nice ads on the fringes of this roster, and none more important right now than Martin Jones. 
and I'm at practice right now, and Ilya Samsonov staying out for extra work. That leads me to believe that, that Jones is going to get the start again tomorrow against the Rangers. So uh, all of a sudden you have a goalie uh, who they're, they're, they're thanking their lucky stars he cleared waivers. A goalie less than a million bucks who had 27 wins, same number of wins Samsonov had last year, and all of a sudden he's the one they're leaning on most. He's the one that's trusted at the moment. Mm-hmm. What did you make of Matthew Nyes on Saturday? I know oh. that's a sort of easy softball, put it on the tee question, but I mean, how much does that wink at the future for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I loved it. It was my, Sheldon Keith said it was his favorite uh, part of the game, was, was Nyes' physicality, dropping the gloves, you know, showing some emotion, and it was mine too. Um, you know, this is a rookie who, uh, after we asked him, he's never had a hockey fight. Like in college, they wear cages. They're not allowed to fight. He, and he's like, yep. he, said he, he said he blacked out, just threw as many fists as he could. And afterwards, he had this <laughs> adrenaline rush. And that was on his second shift. On his first shift, he scored a, a really pretty goal. Um, you know, props to Max Domi for, for his role in that, in that goal as well. Uh, but then he, so he has 55 minutes. All he needs is, is uh, plenty of time to get an assist. He gets it. And uh, it's been more than eight years since the Toronto Maple Leaf has had a Gordie Howe yeah. hat trick. And I think that speaks volumes about the player that Matt Nyes can grow into be. He's a big body. Once he starts adding some physicality to his, his already, you know, really good hands, he could be, be like a prototypical power forward in this league. And that's, you know, that would make yeah. Bradshaw living over the moon if, if, he, if he becomes that guy, adds a little bit more physicality uh, as he gets more comfortable in the league. Trivia quiz for everybody. Uh, the first Gordie Howe hat trick was recorded by Harry Cameron, 1917. What team? Toronto. Um, uh, elsewhere amongst the tra- uh, little, I'll throw that in there for a little bit of spice, eh, Luke? Why not? Yeah. Uh, Bobby McMahon with his uh, first career NHL goal in this one as well. Like, there's, there's a lot to take away from Saturday, but considering it was a blowout, and I know there was no TJ Brody, there was no Austin Matthews in it. Is like, is it even fair to look at that game and try to pull anything out of it and assume anything about the Leafs coming out of it, considering just how flat the Pittsburgh Penguins were? Yeah, you, you, you have to judge each game kind of based on the opponent, right? They didn't do that to the Vegas Golden Knights. They did, did it to a, a pretty yeah. you know mediocre Penguins group. But still, the uh, full 60-minute performances by the Leafs have been few and, and far between this season, and they delivered one. You know, this is this is a team that that can yeah. sometimes play down to their competition, and they didn't do it. They took hold of the game from from the very first shift, and they never let go. Um, so I think I think you can take something from it because this is a, a team that is kind of prone to to lapses, letting teams back into games that they shouldn't. Um, so I think it was refreshing to see them put it, an opponent away uh, so swiftly and then continue to, to pile on and, and not relent. So I, I do think there's something for that. And Max only made an interesting point after the game. You know, with Brody and Matthews out, guys got more opportunity, more ice time, and he's like, that'll pay off down the road because if there's an injury in playoffs, hmm. we're going to need guys to step up and take on bigger roles. And if they have already done it in season, it'll give them more confidence to do so uh, come April and May. So I, I thought that was a, a really smart point that, that Max made. 
Great point. Uh, and great points made by you. Uh, on that, Luke, we'll let you go. Um, thanks for the expertise. Thanks for sharing your time and your uh, analysis of what we saw on the weekend, specifically of the Penguins as well, too. Like, it is a yeah. – this is a bizarre one. And, listen, it gets more and more bizarre. Like, they're playing against Minnesota tonight. Marc-Andre Fleury's not starting. This might be the last time we see him um, playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's a weird one. Nonetheless, uh, Luke, thanks as always. Uh, you be well. We'll check back soon. All right. Have a good week, Jeff. And what is John Hines thinking? Have a sense of occasion. Come on. Read the room. Read the <laughs> yeah. room, man. Like, come yeah. on. It's like, you know, they went and played the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury starts. I I don't know. Like, I know it's it's desperation. Got to get every point. Got to put yourself in the best position. We're fighting for a playoff spot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, grist for the mill. Grist for the mill. The goalie stories continue. Thanks, Luke. You'll be good. Okay, take care. Bye. Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca. Time now for a line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local. Matt Marchese is aboard. Matt, do you have five games to choose from? Pick one. Oh, it's the Habs at the Jets. I mean, this is going to be a fun one tonight, I think. Uh, puck line is Jets minus one and a half. The over is six and four in the last 10 meetings between these two clubs. Montreal has won seven of the last 10 games overall, but Winnipeg has won the last two in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is fascinating. Now, uh, I'll admit a bias here. I really like Gabe Velarde. Uh, I've liked him since I saw him playing in junior with the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, I remember at his draft year uh, when I was working it up in the stands, we had Michael DiPietro uh, work as an analyst when he got picked. So I was hanging out with, with DiPietro waiting for, <laughs> waiting for him to get selected so we could turn the mic over to DiPietro so we can comment on Gabe Velarde. I, I really like him. Uh, the injury this year was tough. was great watching him score um, against the Los Angeles Kings. And rightly or wrongly, you'll always, you'll always be compared to the player who you get traded for. Now, Pierre-Luc Dubois and uh, Gabe Velarde were the two primaries in that deal in the offseason. And I would like to point out that. And again, the season still has plenty of runway here. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois in 27 games so far for the Los Angeles Kings has... Five goals. Meanwhile, for the Winnipeg Jets, Gabe Velarde in 11 games has four. I think this was a really good deal for the Winnipeg Jets. I know at the time it looked like, oh, the superstar for just some pieces are going to fill out your roster. Gabe Velarde is really good, man. And I hope that the, uh, the rest of the NHL starts to pay attention. Should be a good one tonight. It is the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. You can watch it on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. As I mentioned, Rogers uh, Monday Night Hockey tonight. It is the Jets and the Habs. David Amber is your host. He'll check in in a couple of moments. And then Jesse Granger will tell us what's wrong with Vegas. Spoiler, nothing. Man, they're playing good. Hour two is on the horizon across the Sportsnet Radio Network and 360. Back in a moment. Jays and NFL, the JD Bunkins podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Eyeballs tonight. Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the uh, Winnipeg Jets who can't lose these days, folks. 
flip-flopping top spot in the central with the Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Montreal Canadiens coming off a big win where Josh Anderson scored two. David Amber is the uh, the master of ceremonies tonight as he is every Monday on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. He joins me now. How you doing today, DA? Doing well. Happy holidays, Jeff. Uh, to you as well, to your family, to your friends, everybody in your orbits. Um, before we get to uh, uh, the game on Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight, I, I do want to ask you a couple of things. And one specifically, uh, a game I know that uh, everybody on your panel will have an eyeball, a sideball on uh, tonight, the Minnesota Wild and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And maybe not surprisingly, considering Philip Gustafson has been outstanding of late, um, and John Hines very much going with the hot hand, but this might be the last time that Mark Andre Fleury is in Pittsburgh. The last time to play the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Philip Gustafson gets the start. There's a couple of things here. One, there's two points up for grabs, and that's important. But two, read the room. Which one's more important to you? Read the room or the two points? Not that they're yeah, too exclusive, I... though. But I think you get my point. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff, I was a bit surprised in, in prepping for all the games tonight. I actually had written in Marc-Andre Fleury, possible last game yeah. at Pittsburgh. Yeah. You know, yeah. 39 years of age. There's no guarantees coming back next year. Uh, he sees he has a much more limited role. And I kind of liken this to one of those games where this is a lifetime achievement night, right? Like three Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh, one of the winningest all-time goalies. You know he's going to perform his best. Uh, I like Gustafson. Don't get me wrong, but they're playing tomorrow in Boston. You're gonna you're gonna rotate these two goalies. Why not run Andre tonight and and run uh, Gustafson tomorrow in Boston? I, I don't really get the, the the decision here. And and sometimes maybe as a coach you overthink it. And and sometimes it's right there in front of you, and it <laughs> seems pretty obvious to me at least. Yeah, this it's uh, it's not the popular choice. I mean, this is going over about as as well as you expected. But I I don't think that. John Hines cares about the noise. I think he just cares about uh, the two points, and they'll worry about tomorrow uh, when tomorrow gets yeah. there. the The other thing that 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 we uh, that we all wonder about here, and you know, now it's getting kind of weird with Alex Ovechkin not scoring in thirteen games, and we're mm-hmm. starting to wonder about uh, the Gretzky chase. And Ovechkin has five goals this season. Tom Wilson has ten. Dylan Strom mm-hmm. has twelve. Anthony Mantha has more goals than Alex Ovechkin. I never thought I would be saying that on December 18th, but here we are. Do you have a thought on Ovi these days? It's a little shocking. Um, you know, he's on pace, I think, for a 14-goal season. I mean, let that let that sink in. And seemingly wow. one of the reasons we all thought that Ovechkin was going to pass Gretzky and break the record is because he wasn't slowing down, certainly not in this dramatic fashion. We saw this with Timu Solani. You saw this a little bit at the end of Gretzky's career as well, but it's still a bit alarming because he's still playing, what, 17 minutes a game, 18 minutes. He's still getting all the power play time you would want. 19. And my whole argument... 1942. Wow. I mean, that's a ton of time to be producing at such a low level. Um it's shocking. I'll be honest with you, Jeff. And what, one of the reasons I've always thought Ovechkin was going to break Gretzky's record even years ago was how he scores goals. This isn't a guy who depends on end-to-end speed like Connor McDavid. This is a guy who sets up shop and just overpowers you, and much of it on the power play. Yeah. And that hasn't changed. So I don't know what to make of it. The, the low shooting percentage, 
he still is getting some good looks. I, I keep a pretty close eye on the Washington Capitals, and he's still getting a, a fair abundance of looks, but he's not completing those looks, which is just a bit shocking to me. And when you say five goals, you can put an asterisk beside it. Two of them are empty net goals. So he has three goals with a goalie in net in you know 30 games this year, <laughs> playing 19-plus minutes. Uh, it's shocking. I'm a yeah. bit surprised. Um, I still don't waver in my belief that he's going to one day be the all-time goal-scoring record holder simply because I believe this is a record he wants to hold. He has two more years on his contract after this. It would behoof, uh, yeah. you know, Ted Leonsis to not give him the opportunity. I mean, it's the way you market your team. It's the way you sell out the, the stadium, et cetera. So I don't see this not happening at the same time, you know, at this pace, it's going to take many, many years to to break that record. So um, (laughs) I'd like to think this is just a blip, but, but again, you never know. You don't. And, you know, it's interesting with, with Spencer Carberry right now, it's almost as if, and, and this makes it even that much more challenging for Alex Ovechkin. I mean, Carberry's got them playing, you know, dare I say, a defirst, defirst, first defense, the first day with the new tongue, David, defense <laughs> first style. And yeah. we saw this, yes, I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch the Carolina game yesterday, and this one goes into overtime. I'll tell you, David, first of all, for anyone who watched the Caps and the Canes last night in overtime, for anyone who says that the overtime has become boring and it's nonstop regroups and it's if you don't have the shot, you regroup in the neutral zone and send it back and there's no action. This isn't what the three-on-three was supposed to be. This isn't what the three-on-three used to be when it first started. That overtime yesterday between the Caps and the Canes was a protein shake for you, sir mm-hmm. or ma'am. David, I'm not sure if you saw it. I've I never did. seen... I've, okay, so have you ever seen a team hold the puck as many for longer? It was horrible. Well, but and, but but the thing is too, like they held the puck in their own zone longer mm-hmm. than I've seen any other team in the history of the three on three. Like they were they were they were like they would come up to the blue line if they didn't have an outlet, circle back. Like we're used to seeing uh, to seeing uh, regroups in the neutral zone. They're regrouping in their own zone. It was. Now, it's Carolina defensively. They're really good. I get all that in position, position. But I've never seen a team hold the puck longer in their own zone in overtime than I saw with the Caps yesterday. The fans were booing, and they were upset. I know. Uh, the game oh. Carolina, and they're yep. like, this is ridiculous. Like, three-on-three is supposed to be the most exciting part of the game if it gets to that. And it was probably the most boring part of the game. In fact, Washington was push- pushing the pace more in the last three minutes of regulation and they pushed it in overtime, yeah. and they had the puck, as you said, their Corsi numbers or whatever were going through the roof, but uh, they certainly weren't <laughs> pushing to score. And the announcers twice, I was watching the, the, the Hurricanes broadcast, and the announcers kept saying, wow, it's clear Washington's playing for the shootout. And I, I think they were. It felt like they were playing for the shootout. And you know you have that, that yeah. secret, not-so-secret weapon, the, the slowest weapon in the NHL in Kuznetsov uh, when it comes to the shootout, uh, and he scored again. Right. And it was so it was aggravating watching them come in in the shootout. Um, But maybe that's where they feel they're more confident uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to stop Ajo and and Acash and everyone else. So it it was it's strange. But you're right. When when you when you want to relate it to OV, Jeff, the whole idea of they're playing this defensive system, it's almost like when Barry Trotz was there. Uh, for a couple of years where it was just really grind it, grind out those wins. It's not going to be an up and down pace. So it's a little, it's a little surprising, but yeah, that, that overtime was, was absolutely dreadful last night. 
So, someone I talked to after yesterday's game said that the uh, the Kuznetsov play in the, in the shootout is now called the Kuzi Crawl, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I enjoy that uh, very much so. And and maybe you're right, like playing for the shootout, because Darcy Kemper is perfect so far in the shootout this year. He has not allowed a single goal. So maybe, really? to, to your point, they were, yeah, they were, yeah he's, he's 13 for 13. Uh, wow. Kemper's been awesome so far this season. He, yeah, you can't you can't score him in the shootout. So maybe that's part of the strategy. I don't know. All I know is, man, that had everybody sort of, you know, checking their watches, going to the fridge, uh, seeing what's left in the chip uh, chip bowl, and uh, doing anything but paying attention to that game. Okay, we will be paying attention to Winnipeg and Montreal tonight. I was mentioning to Elliot in the first hour. Uh, I love listening to Martin Saint Louis. He's one of my favorite coaches to listen to, and um, when he's talking about Josh Anderson. The money quote from Martin St. Louis is, I never give up on a player until that player gives up on himself. I love that from Martin St. Louis, who's clearly not given up on Josh Anderson. A pair of goals on, on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada. Your thoughts on, on Josh Anderson. Before we get to both these teams, just he's had such a tough year. You mentioned empty netters with Ovechkin. His first of the season uh, last week was an empty netter as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then he scores a pair on Saturday. Your, your thoughts on Josh Anderson right now? Well, by the way, in our we had the Montreal Canadiens on uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey two weeks ago. And in our pregame show, Anson Carter predicted that Josh Anderson would score his first of the year. So uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, And he's making all sorts of predictions that seem to be coming right, so we'll see what he's predicting tonight. Um, I I think it's really cool. I think part of the reason Martin St. Louis is one of the few superstar NHL players who can have success as a head coach, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, is because he was doubted his whole Mm -hmm. career. Right, he wasn't a first overall pick. He was undrafted, undersized. Oh, it's not going to, it's not going to work out. Blah blah blah, and he's a Hall of Famer. So I think if anything, he can relate to yeah. that struggle, that internal uh, psychological and emotional struggle some of the players have with self doubt. And Josh Anderson didn't score for 24 games. If anyone had self-doubt, you have to think it's Josh Anderson. But Martin San Luis thought he was the process. He didn't cheat the process. He was doing the right things on the ice, and he stood by him. And what was a really beautiful moment, he scored those two goals, and he got a standing ovation from the, from the fans in Montreal in the post-game interview. You know, Montreal is notorious, n- notoriously hard on players, but I think they are sophisticated enough fans in Montreal to recognize if, if the guy's working his butt off, he's doing all the right things, and he's just not getting rewarded, we're not going to dump on him. We're going to stand behind him and help elevate him. So you have the coach, you have the fan base all sort of sitting there supporting Josh Anderson, and we're going to have Chris Chelios um, on our Bet MGM segment tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. We're going to ask him about that. You know, nice. he played in Montreal, Chelios, and yeah, what what's that like? You know, the fans can be tough, but what does it mean when a fan base can support you through the, the, the toughest of times? And, you know, it was a pretty emotional moment for Josh Anderson there in the postgame interview. So I think it's great. I think it's the right coach for players when they get into those grinded out type situations. Martin Zenlouis can, despite the fact he's all of him, he can relate really well to the players. Uh, what did you enjoy more? I, maybe I should. Maybe it's, it's an unfair question to ask, but I'll, I'll ask it. What did you enjoy more as far as fan reaction goes? Uh, the fan reaction from the Montreal Canadiens fans towards Josh Anderson, or the uh, the feud is over between Jordan Cairo and the St. Louis Blues fans, complete with an f bomb uh, in the uh, the post game mm-hmm. interview from Jordan Cairo. Yeah, you know, I and I felt really bad um, for Cairo. And one one thing is when that comment came out about 
when someone asked him about Craig Berube and he said, well, he's not my coach anymore. No, I don't have a comment. Without seeing him say that, I, I'm not sure if you saw it. Did you see it, Jeff, or did you just read it like me? Yeah. Yep. No, no, I, I, I read it, and then I saw it, and it was a very like, – he sort of just dog-faced the question, just, no, nope, not my coach, no comment. Like, listen, yeah. we're all grown-ups here. Like, not every player gets along with every coach. Not every coach mm-hmm. gets along with every player in the history of Craig mm-hmm. Ruby and Jordan Cairo, and it's not exactly a secret, either in the industry or at large. They didn't get along. Like, mm-hmm. They didn't see eye-to-eye, and that's okay. You know, I, I talked to Paul Maurice on the show last week, and he said, look, there's going to be, like, three guys on every team that you coach yeah. that you just don't get along with. Like, and Paul, Paul, Paul brought up a great point. He said, you know what, and for those guys, I say to myself, look, I'm not going to get through to them, so i got to tell my assistant coach what I want that player to hear. They have a better relationship, so they handle that player. Like, you're not mm-hmm. going to get along with every player, and that's okay. That's baked into the pie on every single team. Yeah. Kyra and Barube, for whatever reason, were never really on the same page. By the way, I heard that interview you did with Palmer. It was very good. I mean, and he actually he said, good. Look, yeah. he even said, look at you, Jeff, at work, you're going to have three people you get along with, three people you don't get along with, and the rest are kind of in the middle. So I'm hoping I'm one of those three you get along with. But <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, uh, David, clearly. That's why you're always on. Yeah. But um, no, that was a great interview, and that was a great point. And I think for Jordan Cairo, it was a learning moment. It was when you have the chance to take the high road, you take the high road, yeah. right? Uh, Craig Berube had just been dismissed. He had such an incredible run with St. Louis. He didn't have to go in and, and make disingenuous comments about how they had a great relationship and how they loved each other and how they worked well together. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do any of that, but he, he certainly could have could have sort of stemmed the tide by just saying, hey, you know, uh, I wish him the best moving forward, and, and I'm now really just focused on the team, you know, going ahead, uh, you know, under Bannister, yeah. however you wanted to put it. A simple, a simple line like that would have just calmed the whole thing down, and I think he learned from that, and I genuinely feel, you know, he, he was really, you know, heartbroken is the wrong word, but he was really thrown off and jarred by the fact that he received the reception oh, received yeah. the St. Louis fans afterwards, so um, I think it's nice that that truce has been made, and I'm sure it was a, a, a growth moment for Jordan Cairo. And, and for the Blues fans, it was probably nice to see one of their star players so excited to want to be there and to want to play for the fans and be loved by the fans. So that's great. I think that interview that he did after he got booed where he, uh, where he broke down, I think, did, uh, mm-hmm. did a lot. And I, I mentioned on the podcast uh, that came out this morning, I always remember the lesson that uh, a gentleman by the name of Lou Skeezus from Report on Business Television told me. He said, listen, in your career, you're going to mess up. We all do. It's, it's inevitable. You stay around long enough, you're going to have an open mouth, insert foot moment. It'll happen. And he said, when it happens, you have to follow this one rule. When you mess up, fess up and dress up and that's exactly <laughs> what jordan Cairo did uh and that's why the love affair is on once again between the blues and yeah. the player okay back to your game winnipeg montreal real quick before i let you go here um we know what montreal's deal is we get it we understand we know what's happening here and it's another brick and it's the building blocks and all of it um eventually that is we suspect going to pay off long term for the for the montreal canadians meanwhile you know, Winnipeg, we thought we're going to trade a lot more players in the offseason or let contracts expire, etc., and they doubled down on Shifley, and they doubled down on Hellebuck, and so far, that's paid off in spades. And right now, we're at the point where, depending on the day, either Winnipeg or Colorado are tops in the Central. How do you see the Jets right now? By the way, doing it all without the services of Cal Connor. Yeah, it's really impressive, quite frankly, um, when you look at a team and not a front-loaded, 
star-driven team like Colorado or, or, or like the Maple Leafs or like the Edmonton Oilers, they're a team. I mean, they score by committee, and maybe they're the best yeah. team or one of them in the NHL to have their leading goal scorer and arguably their best player in Kyle Connor go down and to say, okay, we're not going to miss a beat. And they really haven't. I know they stumbled out of the gate without Connor. They lost to San Jose. But look at their two wins since then. Yeah. Um, you know, they're an impressive team. Uh, and they, they lost their head coach, you know, for, for an extended period of time at the beginning of the year. And, and then they yeah. lost one of the five guys they picked up in that, in that uh, trade uh, for Dubois in Gabe Velarde, who's now looking fantastic, right? All he needed was a grudge match oh, versus yeah. his former team. I know you talked about, at length <laughs> about that on your show last week. I really like this team. Yeah, I really, really like top to bottom, the balance, the depth. And they seem to just have a very good, they're, they've got each other's back. You know, they are a team, right? They have that feel. They have the best third line in hockey. The, the uh, you know, the, the Lowry line has just been sensational with Appleton. They have that identity and that blue collar approach. And it, it's perfect for the community they play for too. So I'm, I'm very um, gung ho and, and buying eye on, on the Winnipeg Jets and everything they're about right now. Uh, you know the uh, the, the Velarde thing to me is is fascinating, and I, I, I mentioned sort of you know uh, tongue in cheek, but I mean numbers are numbers, um, and I know that they do like him in the three hole with uh, with the Los Angeles Kings. But twenty seven games, Pierre Luc Dubois has five goals in eleven games. Gabe Velarde has four, and he's got mm-hmm. nine points in eleven games. And you're right, he fits so well. like I remember at the time, it looked like wow, the Winnipeg Jets just let go of you know Pierre Luc Dubois, who was. You know, kind of played himself out of Columbus, and then we all know what happened with Winnipeg and the comments mm-hmm. of the agent at the draft in Montreal about wanting to play with the Habs. You could see that the writing was on the wall almost the moment that he got there. Uh, it seemed like Pierre-Luc Dubois was trying to find uh, the escape route or find the exit, uh, and he mm-hmm. got it. But Velarde is such... Like, he's never... He, he's not going to win any fastest skater competitions, but that's okay because he can play quick and he can think quick as well. Uh, real good shot, real dedicated. And the one thing, and you, you saw this in junior with the Windsor Spitfires, from the dots on down, that guy doesn't lose many battles, if at all. Like, that guy excels from the dots down. It's really, it's really an impressive thing to watch. I'm not sure how you feel about Velarde, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and I said this. Uh, I said this earlier on, um, you know, on a show in Vancouver this morning. Just he's kind of like Robbie Fabry. When he's healthy, he is a difference maker, yeah. and it's just a matter of him staying healthy. I'd love to see an 82 game version of Gabe Filardi and what he can deliver. And the confidence is there. I think he's found his rightful spot in this lineup, and I think he's feeling great about it. And, and here's the thing: he's also bought in, right? Like he comes from the Todd McClellan. Uh, LA system where you're going to grind out wins. It's defense first. And that's what Winnipeg's doing right now, right? 19 straight games allowing three or fewer goals, 19 straight games. You know, that's an impressive number by any, by any stretch. Right. And I think that's been their whole success Mm. has been predicated on, we're going to have timely goals. We're going to have some timely offense, but we're not going to play run and gun. We're going to, we're going to limit our chances against, we have a world-class goaltender in Hellebuck and it's going to, it's going to translate into wins. And the guys, to their credit, 
have bought into it. Because there, I was one of those people saying, okay, I wonder how this is going to work out. There's no Dubois. There's no Wheeler. Sure. They're maybe not as dynamic an offense. I remember two years ago, the discussion around Winnipeg was, do they have the best top six forward group in the NHL? Like, you could have had that argument, right, with Ehlers, uh, you know, the healthy Ehlers and Connor and Shifley and Wheeler, et cetera, Dubois. Like, we were looking at them as such a top-heavy team. I don't think we look at them in that, in that frame now. I think we look at them as a balanced team, um, and maybe that'll serve them well, the exact same way that the balance worked to the Vegas Golden Knights winning a Stanley Cup last year. Okay, so tonight, your panel, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Anson Carter, Justin Williams, who would you say is the most stylish of those three? <laughs> Hold on, you're not doing this to me, Jeff. What are you trying to do here? <laughs> Get me in trouble? Well, I want to know which, which, which one of your panelists today will admit that Axel Janssen Fialbi has the best hair in the NHL. And it's not even close. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, that's a good Well, William Nylander on line two, you might not like uh, where this discussion Yeah, no, another Swede. Again, another Swede. Yeah. The Swedes have the good feathers. We're established. Nylander's good, but Axel Janssen Fialbi, man, that's... That uh, that crown of glory that he's wearing is just a beautiful thing. All right, I'll try to put you on the spot on that one. Uh, listen, we'll be tuned in for sure tonight. Uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. If you haven't had a chance yet uh, to watch the Winnipeg Jets, shame on you. This is a really, really good team. We'll be tuned in. Uh, thanks as always, DA. You be good. Yeah, happy holidays, Jeff. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks, Bill. All the best to you and your family this holiday season. David Amber is the host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, bottom of the hour, Jesse Granger talks about the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, who are suddenly, once again, ah, the best team in the NHL. Wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, Matt Marchese is aboard here on a Monday with me now. Hello, Matty. Hey, Jeffy. How are you? I'm good, man. That was a lot of... Um, I don't know. It just seemed like I was following goalie stories all weekend long. Did it feel that way to you, or was there something that was more interesting for you? Because it seemed like every five minutes there was a new goalie story, whether it was injuries, whether it was e-bugs, whether it was uh, Ranta getting waved. Like It seemed like this was just the, uh, the waterfall of goalie stories over the weekend. And listen, the goalie stories continue in the uh, NHL. Matt Murray, whose nickname is The Other uh, in Dallas, uh, gets uh, the emergency recall. I thought you'd like that one. Uh, gets the emergency recall. We saw the uh, the e-bug in the game there against the St. Louis Blues, which really didn't feel like an e-bug situation to me. Did it to you? I mean, that was done for salary cap reasons. So I, I, I fall short of calling him an e-bug. I'll just call him... A, a bug, a goalie to, a, to an amateur tryout. <laughs> yeah. He was just, he was just a goalie. He wasn't a, an e bug by any stretch of the imagination. He was just the goaltender that they found in St. Louis. Well, we're we're also waiting for that in the Vegas game last night after Aiden Hill got hurt, and then Logan Thompson oh, got up I at know. one point, and he's kind of like, "Oh, this doesn't feel I great," know. <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, um, I'll tell you, Jeff. Here we go. I'll tell you." And this is right up your alley because you like stuff like this. Last the, the whole okay. week for me was all-encompassing was the Ryan Lindgren week. There was no player that had a rougher week than Ryan, Ryan Lindgren. First, he gets rocked by oh, Jake yeah. McCabe. Then he gets rocked by Brock McGinn. Then he gets mangled from behind from by David Pasternak. It felt like Ryan Lindgren last week could not catch a break. And we know how yeah. tough he is. We've seen him take pucks off the face and oh, yeah. come back from injury and whatever. But 
I just felt so bad for Ryan Lindgren last week because everywhere he turned, somebody was trying to run him through the boards. That that Saturday game that you referenced with uh, David Pasternak running him um, uh, in the numbers into the boards, I think that was my favorite game this weekend. I know it's a low-scoring affair. It's a 2-1 to one final, the Rangers over the Boston Two Bruins. good teams, though. Um, that was Two really good teams, uh, high-quality hockey, um, a little bit of danger, a little bit of violence. Um, and I want to get to Frederick and Truba here in a couple of seconds, but... If you um, if you're someone that's interested in the in the history of hockey and the idea of lost rivalries, um, to me there's a couple of really obvious ones. And listen, these things happen when teams you know split from the division, split from the conference, and they don't really get to to touch anymore. Um, rivalries kind of get lost. But you know, one of the great rivalries for a, the longest time was Detroit and Montreal. Now, that's been lost to history. Um, you know, one of the last times we saw anything of huge significance happen between the two, because let's not forget the night of the Richard riots. That was a game, Montreal against the Detroit Red Wings. Montreal had to forfeit the game because of the riot, and Detroit escapes with two points. The last time we saw anything of consequence between Detroit and Montreal was the infamous Patrick Waugh game. Mm, the salute. in the air, and I'll never play again for the Montreal Canadiens. But the other great rivalry that's been lost, and we saw this in uh, the late 60s and into the 70s, is Boston and the New York Rangers. Yeah. Like, the New York Rangers were, you know, we always talk about the greatest teams that never won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. If you look at that, that late 60s, early 70s team that the Boston Bruins had that great rivalry with, and, and Boston ended up winning a couple of cups, you could probably put the New York Rangers either at the top or right near the top, like that era of Ranger team as a team that was one of the best to never win the Stanley Cup. And every time the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers got together, it was fireworks. Like to the point where you had the president of the New York Rangers place a bounty on the head. You can't place a, a bounty on a man's Boston head. Bruin. I just did. <laughs> oh, geez, Reg, what are you doing? Do we all end up in the slammer? Um, like, that's how bad it was between these two teams. That rivalry's kind of been lost. And every now and then, you kind of see it between the Rangers and the Bruins. Like, I walked away from that game or stood up from my couch uh, from that game saying to myself, I'd love to see seven games of these two teams. And there's there's a there's a one really old school moment in that game on Saturday. Uh, the code is a weird word, and the code means different things to different people. Uh, some thinks some people think the code doesn't mean anything at all, and you could make the argument, rightfully so, that the code doesn't mean anything in hockey anymore. There is no code. There's always a little bit of understanding between players, but the old idea of a code is gone. But you saw it on Saturday. So not too long ago, um, Jacob Truba with the slash on Trent Frederick's hands. And Frederick hasn't forgotten. And you saw Frederick go up to Jacob Truba and essentially say, we're going. You owe me one, pal. And Truba, yeah. And Truba, who understands the moment, understands how he plays, understands who he is, said, okay, you're right. That's the code. I'm expected to do this. Now, I know that Jacob Truba isn't everyone's cup of tea. I love the guy. I love the way this guy plays. I know some of the hits are right on the edge, but that's okay. You're allowed to play on the edge. 
I know that a lot of guys don't play the way Jacob Truba does. You may make the argument, and rightfully so, that there may only be a handful and maybe only really one, although Radko Gudis kind of does too, play the same way that Jacob Truba does. And I watched that game, and whether it was the invitation and the understanding that this is something I have to do because of what I did last time we met, Jacob Truba obliges, and it's a pretty good dust-up too against a really tough customer in Trent Frederick, who scores a goal in the game as well. I know it's a low-scoring final, but I came away from that game saying, I bet this becomes the best game I watch all weekend, and I'm praying now, praying that we see these two teams in the playoffs against each other. Give me seven games. I know we all want we want to see the Rangers and the Devils again. Okay, that's cool. Give me the Rangers and the Bruins again. Just to harken back to the old days of putting a bounty on a man's head, Matt Marchese. Yeah, I love that. That you we do miss rivalries. And you know, I uh, despite not having a voice, my ears still worked on Friday and I still worked. And, I, and the interview that you did with Paul Maurice where he talked about the teams being good and there's a little bit more in these yeah. games now, I think that is why we're seeing more stuff like this. I totally agree. I thought it was great. Um, I'll yeah. tell you. Let, let, let me let me, let me me hop in on one yeah. thing really quick just to yeah. interrupt before you change that. Yeah. I just want to point out for, for any of our listeners slash viewers, I just grabbed this, just thinking about this. Um, it's a hard-to-find book. It's really tough to find. Is it $1,000? Um <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Like, look it up when we're done. Like, look at, look at, um, go to abebooks.com uh, and see what this one's listed at. It, it's real hard to find. It's by Jay Moran, who's a great hockey writer. It's called The Rangers, The Bruins, and The End of an Era, a tribute to a great rivalry. I'm holding it up here if you're watching on Sportsnet 360. I can't recommend this book enough. Um, and it's got interviews with you know all the players from that era as well, and, and their thoughts on everything that went down. Where in a lot of these games, you know, never mind the uh, the officials breaking up fights, the cops probably should have hit the ice. <laughs> this Rangers Bruins, you know, that is one of the great rivalries um, uh, that has kind of been lost now. But now that both teams are real good, and we saw what we saw on Saturday. I don't know. I'm getting that soap and warm water feeling about seeing these two teams in the playoffs. Anyway, just wanted to point that out. Again, that book is called The Rangers, The Bruins, and The End of an Era, A Tribute to a Great Rivalry. Jay Moran is the uh, the author of that one. That's a fantastic it's book. A, it's and available in a bunch of spots. This, one. This, is a, this is a big one. How much is it? 635 pages, too. Jeez. It's a lot uh, of words. You can get it What's on... What's it retailing? Did you find it? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's on sale right now, actually, for thirty eight ninety three. So you can you can get it on Amazon. Uh, no, I'm going to... Buy a bunch. Yeah, honestly. I'm going to keep that same uh, energy going, Jeff, where we talk about the okay. Rangers rivalry and the Bruins, whatever. John Wensing doing his thing before the game <laughs> is so fantastic. As a guy who would have been a part of those rival, the, the rivalry from the seventies. Oh yes, he and he still got the yeah. the great mustache and part of you know hundred year of celebration course. of the Bruins. Like that was that was pretty awesome. I love that John Wensing. That to me that is when you think about hockey and lasting images. And I know you know you can talk about all you know certain goals and whatever, but the John Wensing challenging the bench is still one of the greatest images in sports because nobody. Even batted an eye. They're like, no, we're we're good right here on the bench. We're not we're not going to get John Wensing. So I love that. That to me is great. And the way he played it out to the crowd is yeah, pretty awesome. On. You know what I loved about that moment, which I thought was a really, really nice touch. Did you see how he skated up to the bench? Yeah. 
to challenge the North Stars. Yeah. He does. It's like he does a he does a V stop or a T stop. Yeah. Like it's almost like hello. He skates up to the bench like a figure like a figure skater. He's presenting. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> like anybody, anybody interested in coming off the bench? Yeah. And the, and the other thing that was great. It is. The other thing that was great was the yeah. Brad Marchand comments when they were talking about playing in the seventies. And he said, you know how t-, he goes, you know there were a lot of tough players, but it would have been pretty cool to fight the fans. That was a, that was a, a classic Brad Marchand line. He's a he is a treat. I love Brad yeah. Marchand. Uh, listen, he's he's a maritime. Are you gonna tell me he's never thought about going up into the stands after someone drinks? Jeff, of I don't games. have to. I don't have Come to think on. it. I know that he's done. I know that yeah. he's thought about it for sure. He has. For sure, he has. Um, okay. Anyway, that's a great book, and that was a great game on Saturday. And uh, right now, one of the best teams in the NHL, maybe the best team in the NHL. It's the Vegas Golden Knights again. Um, after the break here, we're going to talk to Jesse Granger. Now, Jesse is, uh, you know, long time covered the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, for the Athletic. Um, is this the best that we've seen of Jack Eichel in a Vegas Golden Knights uniform? That is the first question. Where we go from there? We'll see. Jesse Granger from The Athletic comments on the Golden Knights and Moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, guess who's good again? No, actually, guess who's great again? The Vegas Golden Knights. Jesse Granger knows that. Covers the team for The Athletic. He joins me now. Jesse, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, And so are the Vegas Golden Knights. And I want to get to the goalie situation here and uh, a couple of other things about Vegas in, uh, in a couple of seconds, but here's the uh, here's a point blank opening salvo of this conversation. Is this the best that we've seen Jack Eichel play in a Vegas Golden Knights uniform? It is. Um, I mean, obviously the playoffs, he was brilliant, um, but I just think that he's continued over from that. I think we all kind of we saw him take his game to another level in the playoffs with an intensity. Um, specifically away from the puck, an intensity that we had not seen. Um, and we wondered, like, okay, is this just playoff Jack Eichel? He can turn it up when he wants? Or is has he found a new level to his game that's going to be this way going forward? And I think thus far the answer has been, yeah, this is, this is now Jack Eichel. I mean, he should probably be in the selfie conversation with the puck. We all know how good he is. He's so confident. He's so strong on the puck. Um, he's he's so patient waiting for passing lanes to open because of that confidence that he just doesn't believe anyone can take it from him. But where he's really improved is off the puck. I mean, he uses that – he has that burst, right? His first couple steps are so quick, and he uses yeah. it offensively. Now he uses it defensively to close those gaps and, and win sick battles. Um, he's doing everything for the Golden Knights right now. You watched that game last night against Ottawa. They came out pretty flat, and they weren't doing much early in the game. It was all Ottawa – Eichel scores the opening goal for, for the Golden Knights, and he was really dragging them along in all three phases. So, uh, yeah, I do think this is the best we've seen him. Um, he's excellent in all three zones, and they've needed it. Um, you know, with, with Eichel, I mean, listen, we've always seen the accent on offense. 
Um, where does the where does the defensive awareness come from? Is this a Bruce Cassidy thing? Like, what is this we're seeing from Michael? Yeah, I think I think Cassidy, um, and and you know what. I think Mark Stone deserves some credit, too, as the captain of this team and a guy who has always been a defensive first player. Um, I think it's easy for, for the rest of the team to kind of take care of their own end and play that 200-foot game when the captain's doing it. Um, and I, so I think he's had a great influence on Michael. I think Bruce Cassidy has really instilled the importance of that and, and how that helps you win games. And then, obviously, when you win the Stanley Cup, it's so much easier to follow what the coach is doing, right? Because, well, this works. We won a Stanley sure. Cup. I'm going to do what he says. And then you add, like, just the physical tools that Eichel has. I mentioned that his first couple steps are so explosive. He's able to close distance so quickly. He's very strong on his stick. He's tall. He's rangy. He has all the physical attributes to be an excellent defensive player. He just hadn't utilized them in the best ways, I think, up until this point. And now he is, and we're seeing his potential. You know, everyone uh, listening to this in Buffalo is is pulling their hair out, hearing you the way you talk about Jack Eichel right now. But it really sort of, you know, but uh, but a lot of it, I think, you know, we always talk about, you know, environments that players are in, why one player works in one environment uh, and doesn't work in another environment. But it almost seems as if this was, in a lot of ways, the perfect place for Jack Eichel to go and a perfect place where if he didn't come out of the gates, um, you know, looking like he was going to win the Art Ross Trophy after the ADR surgery, that was okay. Like, does it not seem like this was one of, if not the best landing spots for Eichel? I know we're talking about something, the story that's a couple of years old now, but it really does seem like a hand-to-glove type arrangement here. It does. And and I remember the Golden Knights, like I remember Kelly McCrimmon talking about it the day he traded for Eichel, is he can come here and just be a guy. Like in Buffalo, he was the savior. And yeah. it, it's all resting on him. And if it, if it gets turned around, you're the hero. If it doesn't, you're largely to blame, which is kind of what happened there. He comes to Vegas and they've got a room full of not only talented players, but former captains, leaders. You've got Alex Petrangelo, Mark Stone, Alec Martinez, Braden McNabb. Those guys allow Eichel to just be Jack Eichel. You're not the hero. You're not the savior. Just do what you do really well. And he's done that, and then he's even improved from that. So, yes, I I totally agree with you that this fit was perfect for Eichel. It was perfect for the Golden Knights because as well as they did in expansion, um, and they did very well, the one position you couldn't get – is a number one franchise center because no one's going to expose one in, in the draft or in, in the expansion draft, and then you're not going to be able to draft one because yep. they've been so good right out of the gate that they're never high enough to draft a franchise center. The only way they were going to get one is through a crazy trade like this with these circumstances. So it was a perfect fit for both sides. Um, in a lot of ways, it was the medical staff that made the deal by saying, like, yeah, we're cool with the surgery. Let's get Eichel in here. Uh, so credit to them for being part of this trade. Um, I like Alec Martinez. I think a lot of us like Alec Martinez. Cheer for a guy like Alec Martinez. Uh, great to see Martinez back. Uh, I, I wonder here, uh, A, what the plan is for him, and B, since he's on an expiring contract, Is this going to be the beginning of a transition where, you know, Martinez starts to, you know, concede that position to Nick Haig, which we, I think, all look at and say, Haig's probably going in that spot. Yeah, I think think Vegas's young defensemen have developed really well, and it's kind of allowing them to make that decision a little easier. Um, Nick Haig, you mentioned, has has played really well. He has played up on that top pair with Alex Petrangelo and done it well. 
Zach Whitecloud is another guy who's kind of down on that bottom pair with Hague yes. that, that has shown the ability to play more minutes. They're very good. And then, and then they've got even younger guys than them that can kind of fill in the bottom uh, when they move up, uh, Caden or Zach, uh, Braden Pahal. So, yes, I do think it makes it easier with that transition. I, it wouldn't shock me if Martinez is back on a cheap deal. Um, he means a lot to this team. He blocks a lot of shots. He's obviously mm-hmm. great in the room. He, he brings a lot, but he – I mean, his current cap hits over $5 million. That's going to go way, way down if they do end up bringing him back. So I could see him coming back as a, as a veteran on a cheaper deal. But, yeah, I think the transition of him being a smaller piece of this team for sure is, is happening. Um, with this team, there's a, there's a couple of things that we're all intrigued by, and it seems as if we just went through, uh, you know, seven days or maybe more specifically three days uh, of goaltender sagas, of goaltender drama, whether it's uh, Antiranta getting waived, whether it's Ottinger getting hurt, or in the Vegas case, what we saw with Aiden Hill uh, most recently, and I guess to a certain extent, Logan Thompson as well. Uh, first of all, any update on Aiden Hill? Um, no, Cassidy didn't give us much yesterday. They didn't skate this morning because they're traveling to Car- Carolina for that game. So um, nothing solid, but it is, I mean, it does feel like he's probably going to miss quite a bit of time just because he he was coming back from that injury. He hadn't played in a while. And, and Bruce Cassidy kind of gave us a hint a few days ago that he thought there might be some issues when he came back because he was asked about what the goalie rotation will return to when Aiden comes back. And the first thing he said was, well, we've got to see him get through a game healthy first. Um, and it sounded kind of interesting when he said it. And then obviously he comes in last night and couldn't make it through the game. Um, he looks really awkward out there and then he ends up leaving. So yeah. whatever the injury is, they clearly are worried about it being re-aggravated than it was. So I have to imagine they're going to give him some time. Um, Logan Thompson, who looked like he was hurt at the end of the game, Cassidy said he thinks he's fine. So um, we'll see. They haven't, okay. we haven't gotten an update since, since he's woken up this morning. Maybe he wakes up and feels a lot worse than he did. But Cassidy, seemed, he's walking around after the game. Um, he seems like that part of it is okay. So they will – it looks like they'll have Logan Thompson in that and then likely Yuri Patera, who's kind of their third guy. He spent most of the year in the AHL. But, yep. yeah, I don't think we're going to see Hill very soon. Do um, it's kind of an obvious question, but do Vegas Golden Knights fans know how uh, how spoiled they are? Like I know we look at it and we say, yeah, they've been competitive from day one and going to the Stanley Cup final. Now they've won the Stanley Cup. But I'm just talking about you know the quality of games that that Vegas has. Like when you look around the Western Conference, the generally the best games involve Vegas. Like Vegas Minnesota games are amazing. Vegas Colorado games are amazing. Vegas LA games are amazing. There was that stretch where every Vegas San Jose game you had yep. to watch all three periods. Like do fans have a sense of like how special this is? Like not just the success, but even just the way the game is played. Like it is a great team to watch. Again, like Minnes- like Vegas brings out the best in Minnesota, in Colorado, in Los Angeles. You go right to Edmonton as well. Like do Vegas Golden Knights fans understand just how great this is right now? Um, I think they have an idea. Yes, I do. I, I totally agree with everything you said. They've been very spoiled. I mean, being a fan of this team has been as good as it gets, right? You, you're, you're a contender from the beginning. Not only are you playing in these awesome yeah. games, like you said, and, and, they're, and they're in these playoff series that have been great, and they obviously win a cup, but 
even the other side of being a fan, right? Like the, the team building aspect, how many fans are yelling at their GM to go make that big trade, just go do it. And it feels like the golden Knights do it every time, right? Like every time there's a player that's it's Mark True. stone, the senators are going to trade him. Every fan in the league is yelling at their GM to go get him. Who gets him? The golden Knights, uh, Alex Petrangelo and free agency, the Jack Eichel trade. It just feels like, it's been a great time to be a Golden Knights fan, not just the winning, but it just seems like this team is very there's, – there's never a boring day here in Vegas. They, they make a lot of big moves. Listen, the salary cap is constant yeah. gymnastics. It's a lot of fun to cover, to watch, everything. I'll be honest with you. You know where I thought Matthew Kachuk was going to get get dealt to? Vegas. <laughs> right. I, I know that was one of the teams that was on his I'm – like, I'm, like, I'm like, anyone that I'm talking to, I'm like, guys, you understand. Like, Kelly McCrimmon gets this done. Like the Vegas Golden Knights get like I was stunned um, when the deal ended up uh, Florida Panthers and not Vegas Golden Knights. Now maybe just Calgary wanted to get him out of the conference, and that could very well be it. But right. I was convinced that he was going to Vegas. Were you? Yeah, I mean it's at this point it's every time there's a name out there, you have to assume Vegas is at least it. I can remember when they lost the playoff series and the. First thing everybody said was, well, they're going to trade for Jack Eichel because that, that was at the point where Eichel had been <laughs> asking for a trade. And, and everyone's like, well, I guess they lost. So they're, they're yeah. for sure going to trade for Jack Eichel. And then that's exactly what ended up happening. So, uh, yeah, every, every time a big fish is out there, I have to assume Vegas is at least in on it. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me finish up this conversation by a little bit of business here. And you know, I mentioned expiring contract for Alec Martinez, and I think we're all wondering, you know, what the future is for Chandler Stevenson, uh, Jonathan so as well. Um, any updates there, or is that all kept, you know, under the surface and not, not to be commented on? Do you have any any sort of feelers or idea what's going on with these two specifically, Stevenson and Jonathan so yeah, this, I mean, this team, like a lot of teams, they're very quiet when it comes to negotiations and, and how that's going. But I get the sense that, that it's not close, and I don't think it, an extension is going to happen soon. But I do think that they want to bring both of those guys back. And obviously Chandler Stevenson's due for a raise. Um, he hasn't made much the last few years, and he's been one of the best forwards in the league. So um, that's going to be tough to fit. But I do think that when you see that 87.7 projected cap, that helps Vegas a ton. Obviously, it helps a lot of teams yeah. that are pressed against the cap. But um, with Marcheseau and Stevenson in particular, I think if the cap goes up to that, the current projection, I think they're going to be able to keep them both if they want. Um, Marcheseau's getting older, but he won the Con Smythe. I can't think of a guy that is more ingrained in the fabric of this organization than Jonathan Marcheseau. So I think they want to keep him. He obviously wants to stay, and that's a big part of it. So I think in the end, they probably get these guys done, but I don't sense that it's it's close or we're on the brink of an extension we shall see um great stuff jesse as always uh really thorough great analysis uh thanks for sharpening the pencil on the vegas golden knights for us here today much appreciated and we will catch up soon my friend we'll catch up soon always thanks for having me jesse granger covers the vegas golden knights for the athletic uh joining me here today so Tonight around the NHL, we have five games. We have the Anaheim Ducks facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings are 1-5 and five with Patrick Kane in the lineup. Vili Huso, by the way, gets the start tonight. Uh, no Alex Lyon at practice. Ooh, that's a tough one. He's been great for them. Uh, good news there for the Detroit Red Wings is Dylan Larkin is in. Uh, we see Dylan Larkin playing with Patrick Kane. Again, 1-5 and five with Kane in the lineup. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Anaheim coming off a big win last night where Adam Henrique scores his first career hat trick 
know, just like last week, I was gobsmacked to the fact that Steven Stamkos hadn't had a four-goal game in his career. That one's stunning to me. I would have figured that somewhere along the way, Adam Henrique would have picked up a hat-trick, but no... Uh, yesterday was the uh, the first hat trick for uh, for the Anaheim Ducks forward, uh, the Minnesota Wild and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And listen, the overriding story on this one is going to be not who's playing, but who's not playing. Most notably, Mark Andre Fleury does not get the start tonight for the Minnesota Wild. John Hines saying that's not the plan. Would expect him to start uh, tomorrow against the Boston Bruins. Uh, Philip Gustafson, who's really turned the season around. He's been fantastic for Minnesota. He gets a start tonight in what might be Marc-Andre Fleury's final trip to Pittsburgh. Again, he hasn't made any comments whether he's for sure coming back next year or not. But... You know, we looked at that game in Montreal and how many friends and family he had there and made the all the obligatory jokes about how he's playing free hockey. He spent all his money that day uh, on hockey tickets to watch the Minnesota Wild face off against the Montreal Canadiens. There is a strong possibility. How about that? There's a strong possibility that tonight will be Marc-Andre Fleury's last game in Pittsburgh. And it looks like he'll spend it sitting on the bench unless we have a goalie change. Uh, Montreal and the Winnipeg Jets. This is your game tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets have been real impressive. Flip-flopping first place in the Central Division with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they've been exceptional, even despite the loss of Cal Connor, their top goal scorer. Uh, Seattle Kraken face off against the Dallas Stars. Matt Murray called up on emergency. Jake Ottinger is injured. Uh, as I like to joke, Matt Murray's nickname in Dallas is The Other. Florida Panthers taking on the Calgary Flames. Uh, Florida Panthers really took care of the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. Um, Calgary had lost four in a row, but they beat Tampa 4-2, so that's some good news there. Um, and Sharon Govich now has games in five straight games. That's your sketch of hockey tonight. So enjoy it. We'll circle back tomorrow and talk all about it. Thanks to Jesse Granger, David Amber, Luke Fox, and Elliot Friedman for stopping by. Thanks to Matt Marchese, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick for doing everything right. Well, all the things that went wrong were my fault. I'll fall in the night for all of that. It's my job here. Back in 22 hours across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Samuel Castle on Sportsnet 360, Merrick Show. Talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy the games tonight.